This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We'll be joined by guest social entrepreneurs and charity leaders whose trading models work to end homelessness. We'll be sharing their stories, tips, and of course, their facepalm moments. So really pleased to be recording this much we know live in person with our guest this morning. And just for people tuning in, we are recording today at House of St Barnabas in right in Soho Square in central London, a brilliant homelessness social enterprise. And we're going to hear from them probably later. But this morning, we've got Liz from Crisis joining us. Liz, do you want to do your introduction rather than leave me to do it? Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. So hi, I'm Liz Chinara. I'm from Crisis. And my role at Crisis is heading up our enterprise and innovation team. So essentially, I'm responsible for all our existing businesses. So our shops, our cafe, our furniture restoration team. But I'm also responsible for our entrepreneurship and innovation work. So in September 2020, I set up something called the Venture Studio from Crisis, which is all about working with the entrepreneurial community to accelerate and end homelessness. To start us off, Liz, can you talk us through a bit about you know, your experience, what's led you to, to the role that you're in now um, and what your highlights have been? So I guess I took quite an unusual journey to ending up at Crisis. So before Crisis, I worked at Imperial College London, which many people know as a leading university in science and tech. And whilst I was there, I worked there for six years with deep tech science businesses. So it was working with really early stage businesses, essentially starting as ideas and helping them develop and grow in a team called the Imperial Enterprise Lab. And it was absolutely amazing. The students that I worked with were really talented. The innovations they came up with were genuinely like world game changing but often they really struggle to get sort of an insight into user needs or into the problem and actually what was really exciting was many of them were trying to solve these big social challenges but they just lacked that insight that they needed so when I saw this role at crisis which was you know heading up enterprise and innovation in the organization I thought imagine if you could bring that type of talent that I was working with at Imperial with the insight of a really well-established homelessness charity that has all the information and understanding of how you end homelessness imagine bringing that type of um, those two things together and how quicker could you get solutions to solving homelessness or working to end homelessness so I just saw a huge opportunity in in that role so that's why I made the shift I guess I've now been at crisis for over two years and absolutely love it it's a great organization to work for Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so much exciting stuff. I think it's really unusual and, and timely as well, actually, bringing in the kind of innovation space to, to, you know, old existing social issues. So yeah, really excited to hear more about Venture Studios as we as we continue. It's really interesting because it's old issue, but it's something that just shouldn't exist in the 21st century, is it? Mm, Why on earth is homelessness still around in this century? It is outrageous. And you just want to see that kind of urgency. And you think about how entrepreneurs work, the networks they convene, the capital they can bring in. There's a huge opportunity out there. So um, yeah. Yeah, that's it's one of the things, isn't it? I'm constantly working in homelessness now for the last few years I just can't believe we're still here and we've traveled so little distance and it's it is frustrating when you worked in the sector for that long um just in terms of the venture studios just to bring that to life could you talk us through like a couple of projects that you've been working on as part of that just so people can understand okay that's what it is that's 
that's how they work. Could you, yeah, have you got a couple of examples you could share? Yeah, definitely. So um, we set it up in 2020 and it serves um, three purposes, which is one, we invest in businesses that are working to end homelessness. So we give um, investment and we give support to businesses that we think can help us end homelessness quicker. And essentially it's our brand really helps them. So by us investing in them, going through a really heavy due diligence process with them, we're essentially certifying them and saying, you are the type of business that can really help us achieve an impact in ending homelessness. And we also offer them a program of support. So we work with corporate partners. um, We work with um, staff in our charity to really sort of help them with their business growth. So we sort of give them that plug in to scale. And because of our links with um, with local government, we're able to also help them skip over some of those hurdles you face as a startup in trying to access the public sector. So essentially our value is in our brand, the powers, powerful networks we can convene, but also how we can help them access you know, routes to grow their business in ways that they haven't been able to before. So we invest in businesses. We also support people who have experience of homelessness set up their businesses. So we have a program called Changing Lives, where we give grants to individuals um, who've experienced homelessness to set up their own businesses. And again, we use all the resource we pull in to support those investments to support those businesses too. And the program's been existing for years at Crisis, actually. And there's some incredible stories of businesses that have been founded. And most recently, we were able to work with the NHS Clinical Entrepreneur Program in um, allowing some of our Changing Lives recipients to go on that program and access all the training those clinical entrepreneurs are going to be getting at the same time as our Changing Lives grant recipients. So that's awesome. And then finally, um, we also are looking at what businesses crisis should be building itself to end homelessness. So at the moment, we're looking at crisis potentially in the future being a provider of housing. And if we were to do that, what kind of business would we create? Um, So is it about converting commercial um, units into residential units? Is it about social lettings agencies like the awesome Homes for Good in Scotland? We're just trying to work out what our role should be in that space. But yeah, it covers those three elements. Fantastic. On the Changing Lives programme, really interested in that. I've got a sort of, yeah, a pet interest or an interest in enterprise as a way out of homelessness for individuals, you know, experiencing homelessness. So I'm interested where that, how that came about and how that works in, you know, pra- practicality wise. Yeah. How has that process been? been has it been a successful sort of program so it's really interesting it's existed for well over a decade at crisis so um i would say crisis is pretty awesome like that it's a charity that's obviously written a plan to end homelessness it doesn't want to exist in a few years and it's also taken quite innovative approaches historically to how you help individuals you know end and their individual homelessness and this program I guess is part of that drive and recognizing that for some people employment isn't necessarily so self-employment just to be really clear isn't going to be for everyone for mo- for many many reasons and the program has never been about forcing people into a route that's not for them um, and we do actually offer training and education grants for people who just want to go into employment as well but on the self-employment side you know that it's a real opportunity for individuals who for whatever reason reason can't get into employment in the UK so there are individuals who just don't have the right to work and this is another route for them to access potential um, funds the yeah the program's existed for over a decade now but it worked primarily in our client services so in our teams that work directly with members and offer lots of different services and what didn't exist before the venture studio was the 
sort of connection into the wider entrepreneurial community. So um, what I saw quite quickly was um, the Changing Lives grant program was working well in terms of it was giving grants to people, but it wasn't surrounding them then with a network of mentors. And, you know, when I was working at Imperial, you know, these incredibly privileged students more often than not have like the world in front of them. They they have access to incredible corporates. They can guarantee their jobs out of university. They, you know, in terms of the entrepreneurial support, it was outstanding. That should exist for people who've experienced homelessness or are experiencing homelessness. And, it, you know, I, that was the thing I felt was missing when I saw the program. So that's what we've been building around the program over the last year or so. So we did a great collaboration with Impact Hub Kings Cross, where they supported some of our members and my point was, what's the point as well as us, of us as a charity replicating resources already out there? We, we're all in the startup ecosystem. We know that there's loads of programs and mm. activities without needing to replicate them. So yeah, so that's what we've been doing really, just trying to bring the Changing Lives grant program into the wider kind of entrepreneurial ecosystem. Still a long way to go. So we're looking for partners. If anyone wants to help <laughs> us out, grow the program. We're also looking for sponsorship. So um so yeah, there's um there's loads more still to do with that program, but it's really truly inspirational. Mm. So no, it's really it's really interesting. And I've I've met so many sort of people within homelessness services that yeah, granted employment is you know is is one option, but some of them it's just so apparent that it's like actually enterprise is is the right fit for you mm. if only you had the right tools and the right people around you to help you through that sort of journey if, if only you had that then actually I think enterprise and business would be the thing they've been sort of looking for you know in their life really so it's that thing about facilitating people to help themselves out of homelessness and I like that you know for uh, some people need huge amounts of support but for others they just need a small opportunity to launch off into something and that's you know mm. it's yeah I think it's also meeting people where they are I am um, I had the pleasure of meeting some of the guys on on the changing lives program along with one of your colleagues um which was great and the the support in the room it was on zoom so the virtual room but the support that the encouragement between one another really shows and I think what you've touched on then by saying you're bringing in this ecosystem this network that some people haven't previously had access to is so valuable for for anyone I think the program that Simon and I work on the enterprise development program the thing that comes out time and time again is the power of the peer network mm, you know shared learning bringing in different conversations challenging each other but in a really supportive way and when you are working in a space that you're looking to solve social issues there is this kind of shared feeling of winning you know if someone has a success it's it's a success for you all so it yeah kind of it's interesting isn't it because you're not competing as you are in the sort of business networking space where there's an element of who's going to win that it, it kind of feels more united yeah I think um those peer support programs are magical just simply because also you don't feel like a question is a stupid question so sometimes mm. when you're in those spaces where you're with entrepreneurs who are a couple of stages ahead it can or you know more than that you feel like oh, god how can I identify with that journey it seems totally out of reach and I don't know how I get there but when you're with that peer group as well you just feel that you can ask those questions or you can learn that information from your um from people who aren't necessarily competing with you either so yeah it's magic it really is and I think yeah the idea of kind of being comfortable and failing and talking about it and and that's that's kind of the hope of this podcast really is to share the idea that in order to proceed and move forward we're gonna have to learn what doesn't work mm. and that's that means we have to share when things don't go well I wanted to bring it back to the venture studios and think about the kind of organizations that you're working with, you know, bringing in these 
these entrepreneurial individuals that that haven't had that much experience working in the sector what are the kind of things that you look for when making an investment oh good question so I think um the most important thing for us is whether it's really going to have an impact against um, ending homelessness so firstly could this benefit um so at crisis we describe the people we support as our members and um that's the most important thing is this innovation is this business ultimately going to benefit our members and then in terms of the impact that we want it to have our our investment thesis is centered around the idea of um, a housing first approach so we believe that as a organization to end homelessness ultimately we need more housing everyone needs access to a safe reliable um, secure home and that is the thing that um, centers around our thesis as well so we're looking for investments that essentially are in in that space or support people to stay in their housing so we also look at investments in products or services that are helping with financial security or products and services that are helping with health and well-being or ones that will help secure a reliable um, income for individuals. So they're the types of investments that we're looking for. And we're investing at a um, pre-series A stage. So, you know, it's still, it's early stage funding, but we're definitely looking for some traction and impact already. So what we're not doing is investing in businesses that haven't already demonstrated that they've had some impact with their um, offer. So um, our most kind of, one of our most successful investments so far is a um, company called Agile homes and currently they've got a project where they're creating 36 new homes at affordable social rents for individuals and the profile of individuals are very much going to be those that we would be supporting at crisis so they've recently been shortlisted for the William Sutton Prize they are you know their company is growing really quickly and there is no doubt their work is going to have an impact in creating more homes for individuals but they're also doing it in a really mindful way so they're not just creating homes not thinking about the need for mixed communities or the need to have access to education and health and well-being nearby they're doing it in a really socially conscious way so when we're investing my goodness we put those teams through so much Mm. (laughs) Um, but it really is because we genuinely they should feel really proud as well when they've got our investment like it is a mark of you know we're a leading thinker in what ends homelessness in the world, I would argue. Mm. Um, you know, we've got this costed plan which tells people how they can help us end homelessness and definitely tells the government. But yeah, they um, it gives them an opportunity to kind of go out to the wider social impact sector and say, you know, crisis believe in us. This is mm. where our solution can play. So come on. And that's our hope. You know, we're still very, very early days, but our hope is that we then attract increased impact investment to these types of solutions. Brilliant. We'll put Agile Homes in the in the show notes, actually, so people can go and have yeah, a look. Yeah, yeah, please do. Build a bit of traction for them. I'm really interested, and we just got straight into crisis and, and, and the brilliant work you're doing there. Is it right to ask you a personal question about what sort of drives you into wanting to do social enterprise and work in this space no of. it's not okay it's very personal <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was very yeah, it's, very, it's very too formal much question there, wasn't it? <laughs> no i'm interested what yeah what motivates you to want to do social enterprise as opposed to you know commercial business or something different i guess so i'd, I'd argue i do do commercial business <laughs> oh, okay good no, no, yeah good no, okay. but i just don't I, I, like smash the perception that you can't do business and do good at the same time so yeah, yeah. um yeah. i yeah. 
you know, we're seeing this now as a real trend. Like, um, you know, you can't sort of not go on social media and see another company that's just achieved B Corp, Corp status. Mm. Everyone's sort of wearing it as a badge of honor at the moment. And um, we know that, you know, especially Gen Z are looking to sort of put their pound where, you know, their their belief in their social causes are. So, you know, there is a growth of people understanding that business has to have a social purpose, especially when we're in a climate emergency and people want to play an active role in solving social issues. So for me, what drove me to being involved in the sector actually was my sort of origin story in entrepreneurship, which is really cheesy to say, is um, getting involved in supporting women entrepreneurs initially. So I worked on a program called Make It Global, which was, um, it was University of East London working with a European business network and a few other organizations as well. Capital Enterprise were involved and it was all about women-led businesses don't scale internationally as much as, you know, as they could. And it's the same old issues in, um, in terms of equality and diversity, access to networks, not securing capital, um, not having the information that others are able to get access to, nothing to do with the women themselves, absolutely not ambitious and wanting to grow their businesses, but lots of barriers in the way. So that program was all about overcoming it. And I was just massively inspired by, um, and also really angry. I became really angry about the inequality for certain businesses in, you know, how they could access support to grow. And that kind of kicked it off for me. So yeah, it was very much through the route of trying to do more to help um, women-led businesses grow. I've got a follow-on question. <laughs> I think women working in this space, you know, I think women in social finance are unlimited. Yeah, the female entrepreneurs, are, there are many, you know, there's, there's so many amazing examples of this, but, but you can see a, a lack of growth in those areas. If you could kind of say say one thing to funders to get more female entrepreneurs chances to grow their business in the same way what would your what would your call to action be so it's the same call to action that loads of people I respect in this sector say all the time change your investment teams like look at the diversity of your investment team because we know where you have diversity in investors you absolutely see increased funding towards more diverse businesses it's the people who control the money who are ultimately you know responsible for this in my opinion mm. is absolutely not the pipeline of you know we are seeing increased numbers of businesses coming from individuals from diverse backgrounds but what we're not seeing is the other end, the change in investment behaviors. So we do see sort of slight changes here and there, but, you know, we should be treating this like a, um, you know, like an emergency in investment. Mm. It shouldn't be something where year on year, another report comes out with a series of recommendations and everyone goes, oh, isn't that awful? But no one actually puts their money where their mouth is. So um, my call to action would be, you know, look at the diversity of your investment teams and make proactive moves to actually increase investment into diverse businesses. So there are investors who are doing this. I don't want to berate the whole investment community. And there's, you know, lots of work to do, um, you know, to create manifestos and to hold people to account. But, you know, it's all good, all well and good signing up to those, but you need to also make the change, not just sort of have the, um, what's the word? Well, you know, you... The commitment. Not just people the commitment. People commit, but the, um, follow through, the follow through to that commitment. Yeah, there's a word for it though, where people are just putting a badge on things, but not following through. 
Uh, uh, greenwashing. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Not that word, but it's it's that yeah. Space, yeah. equivalent. Yeah, it will come to me in five minutes, and I'll suddenly shout it unexpectedly. <laughs> and I feel that's what we've seen through people who invest in those research reports about how and diversity. It's almost they can wear that. Oh yeah, we supported by getting more insight. You could have put all that money that's a replication of a report that exists a year ago into actually investing into somebody who needs that support. So. Yeah, I'm a little bit tired now of hearing um, excuses and I'd like to see some action. Yeah, I think I think we would too. Yeah, I think the right... <laughs> I'm in this space. Yeah, the, I feel there's a real energy at the moment and with this increased focus on corporate social responsibility and, you know, as a company to greenwash now, I think people are being challenged and, and held to account more. But yeah, we need to see more of it. I think the, the progress and the traction is too slow. It's frustrating. You know, because like you said, there's reports year on year, you know, outlining the issues and how it's not diverse and not, you know, it isn't equal. And yet, we, yeah, the pro the progress against that is far slower than the rate that the reports are being published. So it's, I think, yeah, it's definitely an area where we need to see more more progress at a quicker rate. I'd like mm. to see that because I think I've been sort of around these discussions for a long time now, really. And actually, the real tangible change really is pretty small. Um, and do you know what this isn't even um you know this is obviously morally unjust it's not right okay that the, this inequality exists but also it's not good business sense like we know again that um there's a whole untapped market of like new innovations that could be much more sort of suited to women and women's needs and we've seen some of those come through in the last you know over the last decade or so but you know imagine there is a huge one of the justifications for why the work i did at imperial was invested in was this idea that actually Actually, you know, economically, can you imagine the growth if we invested into women-led businesses and the products that they would um, potentially be creating for an untapped market that exists? So um, it's just good business sense to do this. It's not just about doing the right thing, which, you know, should happen, um, but um, it's also good business sense. Mm. And I think that's that's kind of the nature of social enterprise, right? You're not you're not sacrificing the quality the impact and vice versa you know it's about bringing bringing both social change and financial success together yeah (laughs) um (laughs) want to move on to thinking more about the learning side you've had some amazing experience working with entrepreneurs working in the investment space you know having a really good understanding of sort of the the opportunities that exist for for crisis in the time that you've been there what's what have been the key learnings in terms of the the support provision that you think is needed. So do you mean for the entrepreneurs we work with? I suppose for both areas. I think the Changing Lives program is really interesting and, you know, your, your sort of nod to the, the peer network and surrounding and the sort of ecosystem of support is really interesting. If there's anything further to that. And then also on the investment side, you know, making sure that organisations have had impact, but they need a better understanding about the complexity of issues that they're looking to solve. So I guess um, one of the decisions I made when we started the Venture Studio was very much learning as we built, So, um, which was quite interesting to do in an established charity. And um, I have to say, that's one of the reasons, again, I really love working for Crisis because, um, you know, they don't take unnecessary risks, which would, you know, in any way be detrimental to the people that we, you know, we're primarily there for. Um, But they, you know, in terms of taking bold action to end homelessness, Crisis doesn't shy away from that. Mm. Um, So when we started the Venture Studio, we were testing as we were going along. So, you know, we were building this idea that if we invested in a venture, it would, and, you know, as I said, still early days, it would 
help them scale because it'd give them access to expertise. It would give them this extra credibility. It would shine a light on them as a right solution to end homelessness. So I think actually my biggest lesson learned is to be bold and brave in doing that test and learn and recognize there will be failures along the way. But as we tell entrepreneurs, we're going to learn by doing. And as long as it's done in a way which isn't, you know, reputationally risky and most importantly as I said impacting our the people we're working for mm. that's been a really big lesson to learn also I think just learning that what's been really interesting is to bring in corporate partners in a really different way to this space so um, a real trend at the moment in um, is we're seeing is that corporates want to give skilled volunteering time to us um, and you know it's not just about the money that they give to a good cause mm. They want an opportunity for their younger staff in particular, um, who are really socially minded. They want to be actively engaged. So we've had accountants from EY come and mentor some of our businesses, our Changing Lives recipient, and being able to prove that there's a great way to engage corporates, which is meaningful to our mission and makes an impact on our members has been wonderful. Mm. And um, there's a, you know, we, we're just building a relationship with Microsoft at the moment who are going to be helping both our Changing Lives members and our investors investments with their tech development and it's just a great new way for charities to be engaging with corporates so that's been brilliant to be able to sort of demonstrate by doing so um yeah I think a big lesson learned there is you know not to underestimate as well the power of these existing organizations and the fact that they are changing the way that they're approaching social issues and we can take advantage of that as a charity sector to advance our mission yeah yeah I think Mm. bringing people along with you and involving them in ways and sort of guiding people and how you can be helpful is mm. is really key. Um, it doesn't have to be separate. You know, we have this sort of sector terminology, which is it's outdated for how we're working now. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the opportunity for corporates to work meaningfully as well with organisations is is really important, particularly now. You know, as you said, millennials being recruited. That's a question that's being asked in interviews. You know what what do you do socially to organizations? So being able to offer those opportunities is great. And do, do you feel that the changing lives um, members that you're working with feel invested in? Because it is, it is a different, you know, being part of the sort of enterprise work of organizations is slightly different to the sort of grant side because you're more involved. I do. I think um, Lloyd, who manages the program, he's supported by a volunteer named Dave as well. They like, they're really... They really do care for those um, Mm. grant recipients and they really work closely uh, um, with them. And I think they definitely feel looked after and invested in, no question. I still think, though, there's more that we could do. So as I was mentioning, we're actually... um, we're building in um, a new kind of support package around the program at the moment and looking for supporters for that um, because we... So obviously providing that early stage grant but we feel we could. there is still a bit of a gap in terms of follow-on funding for those mm. businesses. So whilst they'll go on and they will grow at a, a, a certain pace, actually we think we could accelerate their growth if we had some sort of access to further follow-on funding. So that's something we're really interested in at the moment. So yes, I think they feel supported, but I think that there is more that we could still be doing and not just us, you know, the networks who are around us. So us just making sure that they're going on to those follow-on opportunities at other accelerators or other incubators that are opening their doors so mm. I love your spirit you know what can what more can we do it's yeah it's very it's brilliant inspiring, no it's it? really good and I think just to roll back on two things you said there one the relationship with EY and how they've helped some of your ventures develop is something me and Murphy are always really keen on with our um, social enterprise program where we're saying to people if you're not good at finance go and find some expertise to help you 
do this. And, and there's not resistance against that, but people feel like, oh, how do I approach a corporate? How do I, what, what, you know, how do we start that sort of journey or talking with them? Um, so I'd welcome any sort of practical tips you might be able to offer on that front beyond what we say to people, which is just go and ask someone, just go well, and say, it is can that you help though, me? Isn't it? It is if you don't ask, you don't get like that's a, you know, um, I do think so. Obviously crisis has established relationships of people who funded it, but um, for years, but also lots of corporates have like their own incubators, accelerators, mm. their own sort of corporate venturing programs. So there are people who are working in corporates who are an open door essentially or um you know with ey it's a team that are working with local government and looking at innovation so again that was our our routine with that organization but i'd say that sector is much more open than it ever has been and i think it's being really clear about exactly what it is that you want so you don't i wouldn't go in necessarily expecting a corporate um if you're looking for that skilled volunteering to deliver a massive big project for you that's going to take hours of their time, but discrete opportunities for volunteering and supporting a business or, you know, an ongoing program of activities, which gives sort of many different sort of parts of their business an opportunity to engage. I think it's just being, you need to find, it's like any partnership, you look for what's in it for you, what's in it for them, how can it mutually benefit you? You know, they they will get loads from it as well. It's not just about that feel-good factor that they're feeling that they're doing something beyond their day-to-day, but it's also the... Um, you know, it's it's an educational experience. There, mm. what I used to find at Imperial when we worked with businesses like Amazon Robotics and P and G, we found that the employees, it was just for them. They were learning about new innovations they wouldn't learn about if they were, you know, behind their desk in their office. Um, so again, it's it can be educational, and it's um, easy to forget that actually this, the charity sector, the social sector, has a lot to teach others as well it's not just about us becoming more commercial in any way or you know it's also about that or that sector really do want to learn how they can be more purposeful in their approach so mm, yeah it's bi- bi-directional I mean I think that's one of the things that comes out all the time we work with a lot of consultants you know whether it be pro bono support or bringing in other skill sets and you know pretty much all the time we hear people saying how excited they've been and like oh my god I learned so much you know and mm. it's it's so true it's it's a whole new world for a lot of people. So yeah, that, that blend of, of experience is key. I think one of the things with the, with the experience that we've got on, on the Enterprise Development Programme has been that there's so much value in bringing in external skill sets, but the, at the same time as kind of you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't tell, they don't know. Mm. So that, that piece of telling your story and really explaining where you're at is really key. And that the transparency and those early stage conversations is so important because when when there is a bit of difficulty with finances, I don't know if it's the, the British way, <laughs> people are just a bit sort of shy to talk about actually the financial situation of charities. But that's where we see it not going well, where there's a kind of misalignment of starting place. The You mentioned one F word there, finance, and Liz mentioned the other F word, which was failure earlier on. <laughs> and we, we, we need to go there, otherwise it's not an episode of our podcast. So uh, Liz, I know some of our guests don't like this question, but we always like, we love it. Have you got sort of, is there looking at your time at Imperial and working in, in this space and then later with crisis, is there, a, is there a famous episode or failure where you think I learned so much from that because it didn't work? And what did you take away? Yeah, have you got any sort of classic examples of, of failure, which we don't like? It's a very <laughs> British thing, isn't it, to say fa- failure? We don't like to talk about it. No, we call it a facepalm moment. Yes, that's it, the facepalm <laughs> moment. 
Oh, so many. <laughs> so, so many. Um, like, obviously, who hasn't had those moments where they just think, if I had done something slightly differently in that situation, it would have gone really well. But actually, if, it, if that had happened, it's the sliding doors moments, isn't it? So what I find really difficult is showing my homework before it's complete, which is stupid, quite frankly, because that is not how I will advise sort of the entrepreneurs I work with. I'll be like, you know, go and test this with the people that you're going to be selling this to, you know, share your ideas with the people you trust, you know, make sure you're sharing this with your advisors. And more often than not, I'm still in that habit of, which is, you know, the whole point with failures is you're supposed to learn from them and not do them again. And I still think that's a habit I find really hard to break because I'm really keen to make sure I nail it. And I feel that responsibility. I often will hide things before, you know, I'm ready to, not hide things in a really secretive way, but I won't expose a a finished thing until Mm. it's, until I'm really confident in it. So um, actually building the Venture Studio has been a really good experience to sort of break that a little bit because um, I don't think we would have got as quickly if we'd waited until the Venture Studio model was absolutely nailed because it should never be nailed. It should be constantly evolving to the needs of its businesses, to the needs of our members. Um, but yeah, that's, um, I'd say my biggest failure in life is my, <laughs> is my attempt to be perfect at absolutely everything. So. Yeah, and I think I think it's quite an entrepreneurial trait to have, actually, that if you've got this idea and, you know, if you are going to develop a business, you're going to be really passionate about it. People, mm. you know, it's it's people's babies in so many ways that you're, you know, you've got this idea, you can't wait to see it come through. And then you just forget to have the conversations. And that's what, that's what our program's largely about, is that you are sort of building it in a community and testing it as as is with the venture studios and changing lives and yeah I can I can imagine that being quite tricky but an excellent time to to change change your tactics I think it's about finding balance because like, you you've both been in this situation I would have thought but where you work with an enterprise um, or a new startup and they just spend ages and ages and ages and ages sort of refining the model or, or they spend sort of three months working on one particular element of their business plan. And just to be clear on this, sometimes that works really well and sometimes it, it doesn't actually. It's, sometimes you find that an organisation are actually on a slow path to failure and they're just taking loads and loads of time and actually mm. they could have found out in six weeks that wasn't going to work, pivot, try something else. But at that point, they're really like a year into the thinking time and they're really in quite deep into the sort of failure, I call it. Um, and that's quite interesting. Now, sometimes though, on the flip side of that, you find a business... And they do just take a year, 18 months to really work through everything. And that's the culture of their organization. And it's hugely successful. And I'm, yeah, I now spend a bit of time trying to work out, oh, which is this here? Are we in the, are we in the slow, long failure category section? Or are we in the methodical, well thought through, well planned approach? And it's, yeah. sometimes it's difficult to see which. Do you um, know what my um, health check on that always is, is how much are they involving their customers or the users or of their product or service? Like if they're doing that slow methodical, but then not speaking to the people that are ultimately developing this solution for, then it is probably doomed for failure. If they have no real understanding, if they haven't got the right expertise around them, that's when you think. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting that um, you have those different approaches, but I do think your health check is have they really got the individual they're selling to at the heart of this concept? Mm, yeah, no, I agree. And I also think the scenario testing piece 
you know, that you can spend years on feasibility research and then bring it to market and it not work, even if everything pointed towards it being successful and vice versa, it can go the other way. You know, there is a limit to what the research can tell us, but being able to evidence you know, scenario testing and, and plan Bs and contingency plans is is really important. I think something that Homeless Link takes into account when we're making our investments or working with entrepreneurs, that that, that piece of thinking is has been done, but it's also live, you know. But that's what's really interesting as well. When we're charities, we have a responsibility to be making sure that what we're doing is delivering impact. So the earlier we can get a sense of, is this going to deliver the social impact? Because people give us money. So mm-hmm. we're lucky in the Venture Studio in that we've been um, not funded out of individual donations, but we've been funded by other sources of income. So we've secured philanthropic and trust foundation funding to do what we're doing. But there's still a response there is absolutely a responsibility that those funders expect us to have an impact on ending homelessness and I think that does put an extra pressure when you know supporting people to test these early ideas or invest in these businesses you really do need to be able to demonstrate that you know you're not just playing or it might you know there's there is some evidence of change there yeah I think I'm just going to move on to sort of another conversation that's popped into my mind which is this this kind of change in focus of entrepreneurial spirit and failing fast and learning as we go compared to the nature of funding where we we are talking about successes and impact and we need to evidence you know outcomes to do that do you think that the work that crisis are doing on the entrepreneurial side you know crisis are an entrepreneurial organization have been for years and as it grows more do you think that impacts in the way that they are working with funders on the more fundraising side of things you know if we're writing impact reports you know historically for trust and foundations we tend to talk about things that have gone really well yeah um on the entrepreneurial side the interesting things are you know what's gone well but also right we changed because of this we pivoted in this point do you think that that has a relationship the crisis at the moment? So I still think we're fairly early days, but I think there is something about um, the reason we're investing as well is it gives us a real opportunity to learn about the solutions we're investing in. So we found that the businesses, because of the really, the, the trusted relationship that we're developing with them, with our prospective investments at the moment, um, in particular, they're being really transparent and open with us about what's working, what's not working, the direct impact they're having or not having. And um, that obviously feeds then into our research and evaluation team or our best practice team who are sort of working to better understand how we can end homelessness quicker um so there's a i think it's more less on the fundraising side but perhaps more in the solutions to end homelessness side that we're learning um but i think we're quite keen to be transparent in how we're building so there is a terminology for this around building out in the open and how that's encouraged because you know if this if this approach does work and help our charity end homelessness quicker or, you know, help convene people as a charity, we won't end homelessness alone. Crisis will not be the only organization that ends homelessness. It will require people across different sectors or across education, government, health, you know, it's not going to just be on us. Mm. But um, if, if the approach that we take here is useful and makes an, a significant impact, then we want others to learn from that too. Like this should be something that, you know, to look at other complex social issues, we we take this type of approach. So um, I think we are keen to build out in the open and be honest about what is working about the Venture Studio and what won't work about it. So, Brilliant. That's really good to hear. I'm just thinking, just picking up on the social impact front, a lot of our audience are sort of people looking at social enterprise as a, as a 
as an option or their sort of early days starting out or they you know they're sort of just yeah early days on that journey what would be your sort of top tips for how to capture social impact i know it's a big it's a it's a we could do a whole podcast on this but some quick wins for organizations at that very early point who are maybe just finding their way around what does social impact actually mean what would be your top tips at that level so there's lots of established frameworks out there now. So it's not like you have to search around to work out sort of what are the metrics I should be capturing? You know, what are the important things that I should be measuring in terms of my impact? So there's loads of resources, Social Enterprise UK and others can, you know, you can, that you can be directed to many, many different tools and resources. What I would say is um, it is about measuring the data that's most relevant to you. Um, so it is very, very tempting, I think, early on to measure absolutely everything. And I do like... I do like my data capture. So, I, do, uh, you know, you don't know sometimes what is going to be the most impactful stat that you end mm. up capturing in your journey. But um, it, it shouldn't overtake your position. It shouldn't slow you down to the point where data capture becomes such an activity that you're unable to actually deliver on the work you're there to do. So um, I think I'd look for established frameworks, get advice and support. There's loads of people out there now who are supporting social entrepreneurs set up these frameworks, which won't cost you money. Um, so I'd reach out, just don't try and do it all all on your own and perhaps look at comparator businesses as well look at the types of businesses in the social sector that you would aspire to be like and what story are they telling what are the kind of impact reports they have out there in terms of their impact and maybe look ahead at that five-year trajectory where you want to be and go back from there like what is the stuff you're going to have to have to tell your story when you ultimately do scale brilliant yeah it's really i go out to organizations all the time and they show me what they're measuring and i'm like why are you measuring that? Oh, because five years ago we had this funder and they were really interested in it. And I'm like, but they're not funding you anymore. And they're like, yeah, nobody told us we could stop doing that. It's really interesting. And I'm I'm with you on that. I'm like, measure what is actually useful uh, and that actually helps you to develop and grow um, and not just measure everything. But you're right, that, that process of refinement takes a while, doesn't it? So I think it's good to measure a few things and see what that data tells you and what it informs development wise and then start sort of culling so it yeah there's a bit of a, a method to it I guess what um, I would say is that you do have to build that culture in though because it is much much worse <laughs> to try and rectify it if you're not capturing data from the beginning yeah. so um yeah the big mistake I often see is where people just aren't thinking through that data lens at all though and they start out and then they're trying to go back and sort of work out actually what has been the impact here who was mm. I and they, honestly it's um that's more much more messy so you do need to build it in as a culture mm. and I think that that conversations piece is the really important one that you know speaking to all stakeholders that you're working with on what they find interesting and what they need to know mm. Yeah, that happens yeah. a lot. Like I, I do a lot of workshops with people, um, whole staff team, and they they always arrive, and you can tell they're like, oh, here we go, social impact. This is going to be a, this is going to be fun, but they don't really realise the importance of everybody coming on that. So it isn't this top down. You must complete these, you know, you must do these surveys or this questionnaire, or whatever. It's actually been developed as a team working with people every day, and I think that's more effective. I like that model because it just means that actually, it means organisations do capture a lot more and it's a team a team approach rather than a sort of enforced from the top you must measure it this way sort of thing mm. no it's really interesting um we wanted to talk more Liz with you about women in social enterprise and and we were emailing earlier in the, in the week and preparing for today and and it, it almost kicked off we almost had a whole podcast episode over email um because I pulled up some stat which came from social enterprise UK that um 40 percent of social enterprises in the UK are led by women 
and which is higher than the um, SME sector at 17%. So it, you know, so social we're, we're performing well on that that statistic alone. And then you fired back with some other emails, which I thought was brilliant, and I was really <laughs> enjoying it. Thinking, yeah, should we do it now? Um, but let's can we just have a little bit of conversation about about that? Because you raised some really interesting points around investment, um, and so it sort of links back a little bit to our conversation earlier. But um, yeah, um, so it is brilliant that there are so many women-led businesses, but we still know those businesses aren't diverse enough. And we also know that those businesses, in terms of their size, they're not going to map onto the size of the wider social enterprise sector just because um, they're not going to be able to access or they're not accessing the same level of support and funding as perhaps their male-led business counterparts. So my point was, yes, it's brilliant. You know, 40% are led by women, but actually what size are those businesses? What investment are they attracting? Are they able to scale in the way that they truly want to with the right type of capital for them or are they um you know is, is it actually not higher because um then they're not getting the support they need to so my challenge back was you know tell me what the size of those businesses are <laughs> and then we'll talk and it's not to disregard any business that is small and micro and actually is serving sort of you know the the needs of that um that individual and you know because lots of people don't want to grow and scale massive, massive businesses, and nor should they aspire to. But, um, you know, for those that want to, they're still not able to access the capital they need to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's kind of telling the full story, isn't it? The sort of the narrative behind the stats and ensuring that the, the opportunities that are available within those groups are equal. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, it's it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. We, t- we touched on the, the call to action for you know, investment boards, grants panels to be as diverse as the groups that they're working with. Is there anything else that you think in the kind of investment process, applications, the way that we're reaching difficult, harder to reach communities could be changed from from investors, from funders? I think um, the diversity of investors needs to absolutely change. So um, one organization I think is doing a great job, somebody I used to work with years ago, um, Nikita Takra, she's leading something called Included VC. And um, the whole concept is about um, they do a really, really thorough recruitment process where they go and look for individuals who, and she's someone you should definitely interview in the future, by the way. Um, they go and um, identify individuals from um, diverse backgrounds and they take them through a program and this program is supported by investors. And um, then they get these opportunities to go and work um, in the world of investment. And it is actually, it's changed, you know, their tagline, they're changing the face of VC. And that type of intervention is absolutely needed because I think if we just relied on the sector doing it itself, I think we'd be waiting a long time. Um, So that is an intervention I'm seeing that's definitely having a real impact on improving the diversity of who's going into investment. But ultimately, it's also about, um, I've seen a lot of um, investors do increase sort of office hours and but I think you can link up with there's loads of organizations out there who are championing um, diverse businesses and actually just working with those organizations and hearing sort of the stories they're sharing from the experiences of the businesses they're supporting and trying to access that funding I think um, there's a lot that could be learned so I think listening a bit more as well to some mm. of the challenges that um, diverse led businesses are, fi- are finding in accessing funding would be a great start as well. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think something that we hear all the time that as people involved in sort of strategic decisions in funding don't listen enough. Mm. So yeah, spot on. I think the other thing, the flip side of that is the language. You know, the if you come into the sector as someone new, you know, I've been working in the sort of social investment space for the last 18 months, two years. But before that, the, the jargon involved in it is 
you know, you, ha- you have to spend time really understanding the way it's talked about. I think that's true of any sector. It's so funny. Um, so yeah, absolutely around investment. But you know, coming into the charity sector, I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> Who are these supporters that you're talking about? Um, or you know, um, not as daft as that. But you know, so the terminology mm. we all mm. use and we get really bedded into a sector, we can be completely blind to the fact that it's exclu- it excludes others. Um, so I think all of us need to check ourselves sometimes in terms of how we end up, you know, being inclusive in our language. But yeah, definitely in the world of investment, it feels like a club. It is a club, otherwise there would be more diversity in it. Um, So yeah, I just love organizations like Ada Ventures and others who are really trying to change things in terms of who's accessing funding. Um, Yeah, there's um, there's loads of organizations now who are driving it. They just need the support to keep, Mm. um, keep the momentum up. Thank you. Well, we'll we'll definitely link those organisations that you've mentioned um, on the website as well, so people can find them, have a nosy, and and support them. Yeah, it's, thank you for raising. You've certainly raised my awareness to think more deeply into the question because I used to take that stand and think, yeah, it's all right, we're okay. But actually, what you've raised awareness of for me and for probably people listening is actually there's a lot more questions to be asked about how it's actually how it actually works in real life and and what the challenges are. Um, so it's been really good. And Murphy and I are going to do a whole season on women in social enterprise to sort of to explore it a little bit more, actually. I think um, one of the things I haven't touched on, which is worth thinking about, is still childcare, caring responsibility mm. still largely falls on women as well, even though we're we're more equal with things such as um, paternity leave and you know men being able to take time out now. It's still largely women who are doing it. And essentially, until we have much more funded childcare support, women are still going to struggle to sort of access all the support they need to grow their businesses so mm, yeah and I think that there has been a focus on more flexible working in the last you know two years post pandemic dare I say um and so it's changing but yeah you're you're right my partner the other day when we're driving somewhere at three o'clock and he went how do people get out of work <laughs> the fact that you're just thinking about this now you know this is these are these are questions that we could have answered years ago, and they're and they're still so prominent and and not talked about enough. It's really yeah, interesting. So me and my husband, we did the shared parental leave, and I'm really glad we did it. it does come with no family. I. I refuse to believe anyone has the perfect family balance by the way um you know especially when you're managing jobs and children and so on but we did shared parental leave but um you know when we both do the school runs through the week and the majority of people still picking up the kids are the mums mm. like we're still in a society for all we're trying to things are moving and it's so much better than it was decades ago we're still in a very unequal society where women are still expected to step up in that role so um yeah until we get to a more equal society around caring responsibilities it's always going to end up with these kind of um, unfair statistics so Mm, yeah Mm. brilliant thanks it's been really good to have you on today and thank you for joining us lovely venue but it's really good if you take a couple of hours out and come and join us so thank you where can people find find crisis find you if you've got twitter that you could share with our listeners yeah, definitely. Well, firstly, just say I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And it's just brilliant to raise the profile of the work Crisis is doing to end homelessness. So to find out more about Crisis, obviously, you can go to the main Crisis website, crisis.org.uk. Um, to learn more about the Venture Studio, we have LinkedIn and Twitter pages. I'll make sure I share the profile with you guys. Um, I have a Twitter account, Liz G. Tunara. Just stay in touch with us through those different means. And um, as I said, we're looking for partners to help us grow our Changing Lives program, support the businesses we work within the venture studio so anyone who wants to get in touch please do thank you for listening please subscribe for more episodes you can also follow us on twitter at this much underscore we know or email us 
thismuchweknow at homelesslink.org.uk.